welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League. It's the number one daily NFL podcast on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock, along with Matt Williamson. You can find me on Twitter at Peacock. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. And you can find this podcast just like all the shows here on the network on all of your favorite podcast apps. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday, Matt. I think your week is just about winding down now in Indianapolis. Is that correct? That is correct. I got here Monday. We've been on the air for six hours, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I do the last four hours of that of that uh, you know marathon. And then tomorrow we go from 10 to 1, pack up and head back to Pittsburgh, hopefully home by like 6 or 7. So it's been great. I mean, it just, I have not been in the stadium, of course. I've been at Radio Row and Radio Row Tuesday, Wednesday was really buzzing. By today, we were one of the only five or six teams still set up. But we, I mean, we had some great conversations with Greg Cosell, Dane Brugler, Cynthia Freeland sat down with us today. I mean, people from all over the net are roaming around and, they gladly give you 15 minutes of their time and talk draft or NFL or whatever. It's really a good situation. Yeah, it's really cool to see all the different names of people that are jumping in and out of different radio shows and different podcasts that are there in Indy. And it's a really cool scene. And it's almost like there's two separate weeks of it now. It's it, it It's been dragged on so long. There's a week of media and then there's a week of actual on-field workouts a lot of teams have already yeah. sent their coaches home after the interviews scouting departments stick around watch the workouts and coaches go back home to watch film it's it's really wild almost two weeks now yeah absolutely and uh things started a day later this week but man i about this time yesterday we hadn't yet seen everybody run it was just starting to happen I was thinking, man, I've been here three days and nothing's happened. You know, it's all, <laughs> you know, just waiting and people, the uh, the CBA is certainly looming over everyone's head too because, yeah, now you can start franchising and things, but it's hard to make moves when you're not positive of the CBA. So I kind of think this next week will be a little bit quiet with other than, um, you know, combine numbers and things. But I hope it gets done, and then boom, I think then it'll be a massive flurry of signings, and now it's just kind of rumors. And um, But, boy, some of these numbers the guys put up, the receiver drills were really impressive. So yeah, I, I am quite excited about this draft class and the offseason as a whole. We will talk quarterbacks and wide receivers today. Offensive linemen, as we speak, are starting to run for Friday's workouts and there's impressed some impressive af- athletes on the offensive line some 300 plus well plus pounders that are running uh right now not putting up bad times a really fast wide receiver class you know who gets kind of screwed in this whole deal are the defensive backs because those guys can fly and nobody sticks around to watch them run four threes right good point and i guess there's a couple guys that they think could be potentially in the four twos from that group um, but you're right. I mean, and no matter what, as much as you love this, just when the last group rolls around, you're pretty happy when it's over. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a long stint. But, man, I, I've enjoyed it. I am ready to go home tomorrow, though, I will say. But I'm going to be watching the drills. As soon as I get home, I'm going to start watching the drills. You know? Yeah, and there's, there's a lack of actual news and things that have happened contract-wise and trade-wise. But I think there's a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes and people setting up 
for some big yeah. moves once the CBA does get ratified. If it does get ratified, that will help. And then this next week, maybe some things start to get announced. Michael Silver did have a couple of nuggets on the NFL Network today saying uh, that don't count QB out for Washington at pick number two. And there's been conversations in-house there in the front office and ownership, even before they brought in Ron Rivera as their new head coach, about whether or not they like these quarterbacks at the top. And if the right guy's there, he basically just said, you know, hey, don't count out Washington at pick number two. And then pick number three, he said that he's heard from GMs and people around the league that be, that believe Matthew Stafford wants out of Detroit and would like to be traded. So those are a couple of interesting nuggets there. It goes along with what we talked about yesterday with the potential of a Matt, Matthew Stafford trade. Now we have an official rumor to talk about there. There's a big cap number that is a hurdle for the Lions if they did want to trade him, but interesting stuff at the top. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want to overreact. I mean, I think Burrow 1 is a done deal. I have said this several times that if I'm the Redskins, I would certainly field offers. I wouldn't just run the Chase Young card to the podium. By the way, I saw him today in person, like right next to him. He's a pretty good-looking cat. <laughs> I mean, wow. I mean, if you drop a defensive end, holy smokes. Um, I, I can see why there'd be mixed opinions on Haskins. I mean, he is a heavy-footed guy that doesn't fit today's NFL all that well. And the last staff drafted him. And I wouldn't say his rookie year was a success or a failure, but I guess it leaned more towards bad than good. I mean, but again, I'm not blaming him for that. And you and I have had this conversation several times. I mean, if you, uh, the more and more I think about these things is if I can upgrade a quarterback, if I'm very certain that I think Tua or whomever is better than Haskins, why wouldn't you do it? I mean, you might as well, and you could still trade Haskins. I mean, do you think somebody gives you a second-round pick for Haskins? I would think. Maybe even a little, you know, an early second or second and a fifth or something like that. You know, like, I'm sitting here thinking, would my Steelers give a second for Haskins? Or, you know, would the Patriots give a second for Haskins? Or, you know, someone with an old quarterback that doesn't land the guy they love? I mean, there's still – it's not like you're just flushing that him away. He's still an asset. I still tend to think that this is to drum up trade talk mm -hmm. and it'll be young before a quarterback or somebody needs to come to two to get to a, but you should consider it. You should absolutely consider it. You have to do all of those evaluations, I think, and you owe it to your franchise to do that. I do believe that most of this type of stuff, I mean, if you're Washington and you know, hundred percent for sure, you're drafting chase young you still want teams to come to you and, and make those mm -hmm. trade offers. If you're the Lions, it's the same thing. You want teams to come to you. You don't want teams to have to go up to uh, in front of you. And so here, here's one of the weird things with the Lions. So if the Lions make it seem like they're drafting a quarterback, that hurts their trade value at three because then it tells teams, oh, they're going to take the guy I wanted. So now instead of talking to Detroit, they're calling Washington going over the top of you. So... Making it sound like you're going to draft a quarterback helps Washington, but I don't think it helps trade value for Detroit. And you also don't want a team to move up and steal your quarterback. Does that make hmm. sense? I hadn't thought of that angle. It does. But then you end up with Chase Young. Which is, no, that's true. That's nice, too. Maybe you're like, okay, well, we just want this guy to fall <laughs> you know to I mean? Yeah, that's not a bad situation to be in either. And here's Maybe the other thing. So time. even if you're not sure that you're going to get the next whatever great quarterback, but you think he's a pretty good one. Let, let's say this. 
you would rather have a 22-year-old Matthew Stafford than a 32-year-old Matthew Stafford, right? So that still even makes sure, sense sure. if you're the Lions, you know, getting a young quarterback in-house for the franchise. I don't know if the coaching staff would be able to outlast a new quarterback. So I, I still think two and three are non-quarterback spots, but the latest reports, it's everything's open, and, and we'll see if that's smoke screens or not. Yeah, we will. And we still haven't gotten much word about Tua's Injury, but it sounds like he's planning on having a pro day. That sounds encouraging. Um, and I do think there's a lot of uh, smoke screening, testing the waters. Uh, I mean, I think Detroit ideally would love to get out of three or just run to the podium if the young is there and move back to five or six and still get a CUDA. I mean, that sounds great to me while picking up a third or a second or something in the process, living with Stafford. But if there's truth to Stafford wanting out, and Lions fans, it's you're not the most rosy of organizations to work for for the last 10 years or whatever. I mean, I would listen because you are picking in the top three, and if your franchise quarterback's a little disgruntled and you know you can get something, you know, the Patriots will give you a first for him, and then you take Tua or even Herbert, who a lot of people are talking about might be a top four or five guy as well. I mean, I understand this is what's so great about the draft process. There's so much cloak and dagger stuff. And, yeah. uh, it should be fun. It should go all the way until April 23rd. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, we're getting a lot more information on the individual players. People are actually, a lot of fans are seeing these guys for the first time as draft prospects and coaches are involved. And soon, hopefully the CBA gets done and we can start having big moves in the league and then everything ripples off that. All right, let's move on and talk about some of these Specifically, quarterback and wide receiver workouts next. Matt, before we talk about the specific numbers of some of these prospects, you mentioned something there about the fans seeing these prospects for the first time. And for some of the coaching staffs, especially the teams that went deep into the playoffs, they weren't looking at draft prospects in January. They're getting some early looks at the, the draft class and the prospects themselves. Do you think coaches and especially those teams that have a powerful coach, a coach that makes decisions and might overrule their GM, do you think coaches come into this process a little bit too late and kind of screw up everything the scouting department's been doing all, all season long? Since I'm through the scouting lens, yes, but I <laughs> definitely want coaches input in order to get the most out, you know, the, the most uh, eyes on a prospect, the most quality opinions on a prospect. But they do, I mean, it is kind of an interesting scenario where my job is to evaluate players, and I've been doing it year round, all year long on this guy. And then our coach comes in super late to the equation. And generally speaking, coaches, for right or wrong, I'm not saying they're right or they're wrong by any stretch, look at what can this guy do for me on game day? You know, can that guy stop? the biggest the best edge rusher in our in our division that gives me a headache every time and I've been running through right tackles left and right you know and I maybe this guy is my answer then in that regard I think the coaches have immense value that hey I gotta have some inactive dudes can this guy even have a hat on game day could he help on special teams what packages can I put him in to best utilize him and to make the rest of my roster maximize its skills but I also think a weaknesses of coaches joining the parade is first they're late, you know, but there's also ego involved that if this guy's not a great player, but he's a great athlete or a great specimen, they'll often say, 
well, I'll coach him up. I'm a great coach. And, and it's, in, it's interesting because the, the scouts see the player, meet the player, talk to coaches, see the mm-hmm. tape. The GM's been watching the tape. Coaches come in. If you see the combine before you see the tape, you might be looking for 4-3 speed when he didn't really play there. You might be looking at it skewed. You're looking at the tape differently than someone who's just starting to look at the tape first before they see workout numbers. Yeah, and what's also interesting, too, is scouts have areas of the country. So you're the Midwest scout or the Southeast scout or Northwest scout, whatever it is, you've seen every position at every one of your schools where the running back coach comes in and just watches the top 15 running backs. You know, So he's watching guys that are out of your area and he's comparing them all apples to apples and basically listing them or he's going to have his preferences of who he'd want of that group. And you haven't even really seen your guy's competition because you didn't do that area of the country. Yeah, it's a great point. You might say, hey, this is the fastest running back in the country, but the Southeast scouts actually got four guys that are faster. And then you put them all together. And it's right. like, okay, well, maybe right. your guy isn't as fast as you thought. Right. And that's what GMs come in to kind of balance all that. Like you're saying, man, this back's really something. And he ends up being sixth on your board because it's a really bad, good back year or just didn't realize how good the rest of the talent is around the country. Okay, winners and losers, Matt. Combine workouts, quarterbacks and wide receivers we haven't talked about yet. We touched on tight ends a little bit yesterday because they started working out first. Justin Herbert, the fact that the two top quarterbacks in this draft on most analysts' sites, I mean, I don't know exactly how teams are looking at this, but you can assume that it's Burrow and Tua or at or near the top on almost every team's quarterback board. The next two guys had a chance to shine. I think they both did, especially Justin Herbert at the Combine. Yeah, and I'm not taking anything away from Herbert. He has been terrific. He is checking all the boxes in a glowing manner. But this is his time of year, too. You know, I mean, he, he's big. He looks the part. He's, he ran better than I thought. He's got a big arm, a big accurate arm. That This is where, you know, just his profile lends itself to this time of year. And not that his tape is bad, but... You put him next to Joe Burrow and you didn't watch any of their college tape, you're going to take Herbert. He was fast, too. 469 is a really good time for him. Actually, a better time than Jordan Love. Jordan Love, I believe, was 474 and and Love showing off his arm strength and and pretty big guy himself. But Herbert, and, and Herbert does have speed that I think not a lot of people talked about. I know I was watching some pass rushers and got really good rushers like Bradley and I from Utah and watching some Pac 12 pass rushers. And I was blown away because multiple times you would be like, oh, man, where's that contained? Because Herbert would just take off and run. And a guy like Bradley and I, he wasn't catching up to Herbert after he took off either. So mm-hmm. he's got some athleticism that you can utilize if you're a team. And so, yeah, if you come into this prospect starting at the combine, you see Herbert 6'6", 230, runs 4'6", has that arm. I mean, how is he not a top 10 pick? Yeah, I think so, too. I, I mean... I'm starting to think that there's a real good chance that four quarterbacks go in the top half of the round, and I'm really starting to think that three of the top six picks are quarterbacks. Any other quarterbacks catch your eye, good or bad, at the combine? Hmm. Jake Fromm had a rough go of things, but, I mean, unlike Herbert, this is exactly what where you're not going to shine. You know, I mean, maybe he did great on the board or whatever, but just sitting there next to your uh, 
you know, your Patreons just sitting there throwing balls isn't going to help you. He had the worst 40 time of anyone that ran. And this isn't his fault, for, but because they do it alphabetically, it was Jacob Eason, who he beat out at Georgia, and Fromm was right behind him in line because it goes EFG. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, an alphabetical thing. And meanwhile, Eason's got a rocket launcher and he's six, <laughs> you know, he's huge. And Fromm follows him like, oh, great. You know, it's like, you know, f- following Jerry Seinfeld out at the comedy club. Like, that's no fun. So that there was a bad look for him there. Um, I did get a lot of reports that Jalen Hurts had a very good combine um, with interviews. He had the second best 40 time of any of the, the the running back or the quarterbacks that ran looked like he threw the ball pretty well. I mean, I'm watching on TV, so, but I have heard good reports from Jalen hurts too. Going back to the East and from thing really quick. That is almost a perfect example of the combine versus what happens in the, yeah. in the regular season of football, because Fromm's literally the guy that beat Eason out. They right. wanted Fromm to be their quarterback. He shows up, and you see those guys back-to-back throwing. You're like, well, there's no comparison with arm strength. There's a lot more that goes into playing quarterback than that. Yeah, and Georgia won a ton of games with this guy, and everybody loves him. And uh, he also sent, you know, what's-his-face to Ohio State. He, he beat out probably two first-round picks. They're going to get drafted ahead of him. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That is, <laughs> that is insane. But, yeah, it's like West Coast offense, a, a team that doesn't push the ball down the field a lot a lot of in-breaking routes and wants a smart backup that, you know, they can develop maybe uh, Jake Fromm, you know, probably later in the draft. I don't know if he'll even be a day two guy because you see that arm and the, the bad 40 time hurts as well because you want a, a quarterback at least you can get out on the move and do some things and he didn't look good running either. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't completely discount Jake Fromm even though, you know, it's it's, it's rough. This isn't the best uh, avenue for him to show off what he can do as a quarterback. No, and – he does kind of have a Shanahan feel to him, you know, play yeah. action, get a ball out quick, know where to go with the football, you know. Uh, I mean, if you get him in the third round, and I'm with you, I'm not sure if he's a day two pick or not, you're going to get value out of him. I mean, if you have a long-term backup in the third round, that's worth it. Yep, that's exactly what I said on today's Locked On 49ers podcast. Okay. I said, look out, if he, if he falls to day three, Jake Fromm seems like a Shanahan type, and the, the Niners are pretty full at the quarterback position and seem to really love the guys and they kept three quarterbacks last year, but if they trade one or you know something happens and maybe he falls too late and he's too good to pass up, I could see Fromm and Shanahan. I think that's a great call by you, Matt. I'd like to see him in Atlanta. Though I come to think of it too, mm-hmm. I mean, he just played at Georgia. I don't think it's a good time to go find Matt Ryan's replacement, but their backup is Matt Schaub. For God's sake, <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, he can't be in the league anymore. And you know, cerebral type offense. That would make a lot of sense to me. That third round pick, grab Jake, Fr- you know, keep Fromm in town. Yeah, I'm all in on that. Uh, one thing that we just talked about, Jalen Hurd's an interesting one, and I love the way the league is going a little bit more toward being able to play their backup quarterback, specifically if it's an athletic backup quarterback. Utilize the talent. Utilize all 53 guys on your roster. He's got a uniform on. Jalen Hurd's is your backup quarterback. Put him in there and utilize him a little bit like the Saints do with Taysom Hill. Yeah, and that's certainly a possibility. Um my, my one issue with him, though, is I just don't – I think he's a very good athlete. I think Hill's a better athlete. I certainly think, you know, Lamar, when he was in his p- packages, are better athletes. Like, I think he's a good quarterback athlete, but I don't think he has any chance to change positions. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? I, I think he's a DAC athlete, which is fine for quarterback, but I don't know that I can design specific packages for him. 
he's not so dynamic that you're just like, okay, we got to get him on the field. No matter yeah, what. right, right. All right. Well, you know who are dynamic are these wide receivers at the combine. Let's talk Henry Rudds. Let's talk 40 times. Let's talk wide receivers next. I saw this question put out on Twitter, Matt. What was more impressive? The 5'11", 188-pound Henry Ruggs running 427 or the 364-pound Makai Becton, who we just saw open up the offensive line 40 times with a 5'11"? Both are memorable and jaw-dropping and not something you see every year. You know, these, these just aren't topics because they were the best at what they did this respective year. They are both, man, since I've been paying attention to the Combine, massively noteworthy. I mean, watching Becton, and, and, and I urge you not just to look at the time, but watch how effortlessly he does it and the stride length without looking awkward and smooth and not huffing and puffing like a, rhinoc- right, like a rhinoceros running down there. I mean, <laughs> this is an athlete. I, I mean, how can the Giant? I mean, he sure looks like a New York Giant to me. At 364, all he had to do was look average and, and look solid moving around because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's hard to do. I mean, if you run f- sub five flat as an offensive lineman, that's flying for a 300 pounder. If you're 364 and you're running 511, I mean, that's a great time. So, more on offensive linemen next week. We'll get to the offensive linemen, running backs, all the defensive players working out at the combine this weekend. But I did want to throw that one out there just because it just happened and it was impressive. Yeah, it was really impressive. And the drills are going on now. I've seen him just kind of out of the corner of my eye while we're talking to a little bit of drills. He changes direction well, too. He's balanced. I mean, I have, I'm have i not on top of the other top tackles quite yet, but I'd be shocked if he's not the first one off the board now. And actually, I'm just the list I'm looking at just went official. 5-1-0 for Becton. So great wow. day for him so far. Yep. Um, let's talk wide receivers. Henry Ruggs didn't break the record, but 4-2-7 is insanely fast. One of the fastest times we've seen in the last 10 years or so. And he he had to pull up and, and pull out of the rest of the workouts there. He had a big old ice pack on his hamstring after running that four two seven. But you know, and you don't want to double count the speed, but really just I think the thing I took away from the wide receiver workouts was the top three guys, Ruggs, Jerry Judy, C D Lamb, they just solidified. They're that's the that's the that's tier. That's yeah. the top tier. That's the yep. first round, solid mid first round tier. A lot of jockeying for position after those three guys. Yeah, exactly. And Ruggs was very awesome to watch too because he made a four-two-seven look effortlessly. You know, make look at make it look effortless, and was disappointed by the with a four-two-seven. You know, I mean that's which is bonkers. <laughs> and he's big. I mean, he's bigger than John Ross. I mean, for these unbelievably fast guys. And I don't know if you know, if you saw it, but you know how like they do the simulcast where they. They run two players together, yes. often from different years. Well, him and Ross, they had them run together. And basically, the only reason Ross had a better time with them is he had his head tilted forward a fair amount. But, like, their waists were stride for stride. Yeah, he had uh, Ross had the forward lean going, and, and Ruggs yeah. did not. Ruggs also jumping through the roof, 42 inches, 10 feet 11 in the broad jump. So just explosive for days. Teams are going to love him, depending on who you like is 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 how it's going to look i got to imagine he's going to be wide receiver one on some boards and we've seen those speed demons in the past teams love speed if that's what you want on your roster he might be your wide receiver one for me he's probably wide receiver three but i mean that's the group cd lamb 
Jerry Judy, both those guys doing as you would expect. Jerry Judy just so smooth and, and so explosive. C.D. Lamb, we had talked about it before. I mean, it if you say, hey, 6'1", 198, five, or 4.5 flat. I mean, it's like, oh, okay. But then you go watch him in the field drills, and he's just snatching everything out of the air effortless. Had the best catch of the day on one of those uh, drills to the corner of the end zone. And goes up in the air, spinning around. I mean, Judy and and C.D. Lamb just look so natural catching the ball. Good releases, short area movement. Judy's got the better long speed, which is why I think he goes first. And similar size guys, but I mean, those 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 guys are just yep. Check off all the boxes because they're good to go. Yeah, they're all good to go. I mean, the verticals are good. The drills were good. You know, Lamb caught a really nice pass in a DeAndre Hopkins like manner. He's really good after the catch. Judy's so smooth. You know, you compare him to Rugs, and you're like, oh, these guys are a little slow. No, they're not. I mean, they're <laughs> very fast for their size. And by NFL wide receiver, you know, um, standards, they are certainly in the uh, – the speed is a positive for those guys. Um, Rugs is a different beast, of course. You know, he's not as refined as those guys, but – I think he might compete with them to be the first receiver taken. I didn't think I'd say that, but I think there's a chance. You know, his vertical was awesome. And it, it just reminded me, I know this is totally off topic, but I was watching, I never watch NBA, but I'm sitting in my hotel room two nights ago and LeBron versus Zion was on. And just, I, I was working, I was typing, and out of the corner of my ear, I heard, yeah, Zion Williamson at the NBA combine had a 45-inch vertical at 285 pounds. I just had that written down <laughs> here next to me. Like, oh, my Lord. Like, can you imagine what an NBA vertical combine is like? That's insane. And NFL it's guys insane. are pretty close to the NBA guys on some of those, but uh, Zion's a completely— 285 pounds. I mean, that's crazy. That's a completely different beast. And, by the way, <laughs> Donovan Peoples-Jones, a 44-and-a-half-inch yeah, vertical, which is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And he was a highly regarded recruit— um, things didn't go great for him in Michigan, but I think he gained steam. He didn't run too bad, and he's a pretty, you know, he's a pretty heavy guy too. Four four eight. I mean, so uh, all these guys, all they all seem to solidify what we thought they were with a great wide receiver class. I think there's two others I wanted to bring up is Jalen Reger, who you sit there and look at his four four seven and say, wow, that's pretty darn fast. Well, Daniel Jeremiah had a, a good quote whenever that happened and said, boy, Rager looks a lot more rocked up, a lot heavier, a lot more muscular than what he played at. So I'm betting at his TCU Pro Day, he drops a few pounds and maybe gets under a 4-4. So just keep an eye on that. Like some people might be a little disappointed in a 4-4-7, which in itself is bonkers. And I think we have to talk about Notre Dame's Chase Claypool too. I mean, 4-4-2 at 238 pounds. That one really stuck out to me, and oh, yeah. what I also thought was he showed up at 238, which is heavier than, I think, almost 10 pounds heavier than what he weighed at the Senior Bowl. So, obviously, I'm thinking, oh, he's a tight end. He knows he's a tight end. He's mm-hmm. right, trying right. to get there weight-wise. Then he throws down those numbers, and then apparently somebody said he just drank too much water and got a little bit bloated as far as the weight goes. He wasn't really trying to say anything about being a tight end, but I think he would be a better fit at tight end because I didn't see it on tape, and even at the Senior Bowl, you know, he can move okay for a guy that size, but I I want him inside. I think that's where you 
find yourself, okay, wowed by that athleticism. Okay, as a tight end, and now we're talking about something. If he can get to 245 and still be very fast and, and be a matchup nightmare outside, I really don't see it. He might get overdrafted if you're looking for a 6'4", 442 guy on the outside. Yeah, it's funny. I said the same thing today on my Steelers show that with all respect to him, that's great. His stock should rise, but he still is a lot closer to Evan Ingram to me than he is T.O. or, you know what I mean, some big downfield Calvin Johnson type. I've heard Calvin, Calvin Johnson comparisons today. I'm like, whoa, yeah. relax, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he seems down. like the po- – yeah, exactly. He seems like the poster boy of some team that you isn't as strong as maybe some of the others – takes him in the second round and probably is still really a fourth round player when it's all said and done and plays like a fourth rounder. Looking strictly at the 40 yard dashes, Justin Jefferson out of LSU really helped yeah, himself with a four, four, three. And I think he's someone that has a really high floor, maybe not the high ceiling that some of these other guys do, but that's a great number for him and, and calms down some doubts. And I, I was one of those doubters about him as an outside receiver because he works so much in the slot, but showing he's got some speed there. And I think maybe the biggest winner of all the wide receivers through this process, starting at the senior bowl looked really good is Baylor's Denzel Mims. I mean, his numbers were very Julio Jones like, and I'm not just throwing that out there. They were almost identical. So Denzel Mibbs, 6'3, 207. Uh, Julio was 13 pounds heavier, 6'3, 220. But they both ran 4.38. They both had 38 and a half inch vertical. They both had identical 6.66 three cone times. Just uh, actually, um, Julio is 4.34, so a little faster in the 40. But I mean, Denzel Mims throwing up some oh, crazy right. numbers, and I think we're going to have to start hearing some late first round talk with Mims. Yeah, you, you took the words out of my mouth where uh, he was a lot of a lot of buzz going into the senior bowl, much more buzz after, way more buzz now. I mean, this guy is bit like to me I would take Mims over the Notre Dame kid, you know, by far if I wanted yes. an outside big receiver. And it's not even close, you know, and that's no respect to Claypool. I don't want to give Claypool a hard time, but I could see Mims ending up in the top 32. You mentioned Justin, Justin Jefferson I think he was listed at six three in LSU's program, but he's really six one. So that you know that that's one of those golden rolls. Mm-hmm. But running as well as he did, I think he's probably a top twenty guy now. Wow, I mean that's and and There's that's where we're at. Like, who's going to be wide receiver four? We know I'm yeah, pretty yeah. darn sure who the top three are going to be, and those guys didn't falter. And I don't think anybody that was maybe in that conversation for the next tier was able to go up and and, and be ranked ahead of those players, but. Who the fourth guy is, it could be a dozen players, and it probably wouldn't shock me very much. And how high is that fourth receiver going to go is the question. And our team's going to just wait, and then the big run happens in round two. And very well could, and it could be a real big run. I mean, even guys like Michael Pittman, who I'm not suggesting yes. would be the fourth receiver, but that big sucker ran a four five two, And the fourth fastest three-cone at 6'4", which wow, is the craziest part. Wow. Yeah, he had 6'9", six, 6'at six the three-cone. So fantastic day for, for Pittman. a tall guy. And actually, there's not very many people who were losers that worked out. I think the big losers of this whole thing is the guy who didn't work out in T. Higgins. He told people that he was resting, and so he didn't want to run. I mean, that's that's the loser of this whole thing because he was the guy that could have been wide receiver four. Yeah, and he still might. I mean, his Clemson Pro Day might be wonderful. But with everyone at least holding serve or slightly increasing their stock or you know increasing their stock, if you did nothing, you went backwards. And the thing that that coaches are going to really hate is that he didn't compete. Go out there and compete. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you were going to, we talked about his over under being four, five, seven. 
in Vegas. And I thought he was going to run faster than that. But maybe that's what he was going to run. And maybe he was a little bit worried and thought, you know, I don't want to be the 30th fastest wide receiver out here because 20 receivers were sub 450. So maybe, you know, but then that's the competitiveness. It's like, go compete. 457 mm-hmm. is fine. That's what DeAndre Hopkins ran. That's what Michael Thomas ran. Go run what you run. Go compete. It tells me that he probably was not uh, convinced after his practice times that he was going to run all that well. Yeah, you're probably 100% right. Um, he maybe he's getting bad advice or maybe that is good advice because it's a bad look to be 30th as opposed to when no one's talking about receiver speeds and Clemson's pro day comes out and we say, oh, he ran a four, four, eight on his or a four, five, five on his home yeah. track that he's used to. And OK, and, and it's kind of gets brushed off and under the rug. Yeah, we'll see what he runs that 38 yard dash in at Clemson. That'll probably be a much better time than he was going to run in Indy, and maybe it's a smart move, but yeah, just saying, th- just that he said resting, like make up a fake injury or something. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> it's a bad look. Say something better. Like, I got the flu or, you know, we don't believe anyways, but you know. Uh, we're out of time here. Actually, you know what? I will say someone who I, I think didn't do well for themselves and someone I had big questions about coming into this thing, and it was uh, LaVisca Chenault who ran a 4.59 and then came up hurt. Maybe he was hurt on that run, but I haven't seen the high-end athleticism that people have been talking about. Good athlete, good after the catch, but he was listed at 6.2, came in 6 feet, 227. I mean, I see a running back as much as I see a wide receiver with him, and I don't see that high, high top-end athleticism that some people had talked about. Him running a 4.59 kind of confirms that for me, but who knows? Maybe he got hurt during the 40, and it would have been better, but I think maybe if someone got hurt, that's your guy who was talked about as a first-rounder that I just can't see going there. Yeah, and he isn't for everyone. You know, he's a ball carrier. He's a wing back. He's a weapon more than just a wide receiver. Um, so maybe he's a good one with Higgins that, at least for now, didn't do themselves any favors. More to talk about with this wide receiver class. More to talk about with the combine next week, getting into the defensive side of the ball, talk offensive linemen, talk running backs. Monday, right here, Locked on NFL.